Hello, hello everyone and welcome to the most production-driven dev podcast in the world, House of Games. I'm your co-host Rune and today I'm joined by my host, Odo, and two very special guests, Gabriella and Bjorn. But before you introduce yourselves, let us hand in hand enter this week's episode of the House of Games. <laughs> Welcome everyone to this week's House of Games. As uh, Rune mentioned, today we have two very special guests, Gabriella and Bjorn, from the Research Institute of Sweden. First of all, do you want to introduce yourselves and tell us who you are? My name is Bjorn Flintberg uh, and I work at RISE, Research Institute of Sweden. I've been doing so for six years and uh, about a year and a half ago I started working with the computer games industry doing a mapping of the sector and its different needs uh, and potential. Um, I'm also, of course, an avid gamer. I started my career uh, in the analog sector with LARPs and board games and card games and you name it, I've got it. That's a little bit about me and at RISE I'm heading up our efforts to aid the computer games industry and its continued growth. All right, most welcome. And uh, Gabriella? Yeah, hello, my name is Gabriella. I also work at Rights with the initiative of GameNode that Bjorn is the father to. And I also drive the XR Lab uh, Satsni. Initiative, I guess. Initiative, yeah. thank you very much. And the Power Up Network. I'm fairly new at Rise. I started last September, but I did work in the computer gaming industry before that. I'm a business developer and work with project management at Rise. I'm also an avid gamer more conservative sort, so I play a lot of board games, a lot of role-playing games and mobile games. Most welcome to the both of you. The way I you. found you was actually your podcast, Spel Focus, or Game Focus, I suppose, in English. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that is about and what the target audience is and what you hope to accomplish? Well, Spel Focus is a podcast that is initiated by us at RISE as a part of the Game Node initiative. And we want to lift and highlight different areas of the computer gaming industry in Sweden. Areas that could be challenges, areas that we are good at, to legitimize the computer gaming industry as a proper industry in Sweden, which we feel that it's not, we're not actually there yet. We're getting there, but we are one of Sweden's largest export industries at this moment in time. There are a lot of things happening. There are a lot of initiatives going on in the whole country. So we try to highlight those as a way of legitimizing the computer gaming industry and also hopefully lift some initiatives from other sectors as well. Legitimize the industry to who? Like the politicians or the rest of the world? No, no, to our politicians ah. mainly. A lot of the challenges that we experience today with regards to competence hiring people in the industry. There is a shortage of labor. Mm. has to do that we don't have enough space in the educating sector. Mm. We don't have enough places for people to go and train themselves to be a computer programmer. To get more funding for that, we need the politicians to be aware that the computer gaming industry is a serious industry. What would your dream scenario be in that case? Like game design high schools? Or I mean, at what point would you like people to start learning this kind of stuff? That's one way to do it. That's one way we would like to see. There are a few places where there are high schools who do introduce people to it. We think mm -hmm. this is closely connected. I mean, 
the computer games industry doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? So, I mean, the parts of the computer games industry that has to do with the programming and the technical side, of course, is very tightly connected to our general development of programming and understanding of how computers work and so on. But of course, there are other parts as well. I mean, the design area, audio, sound, and so on. There are a number of places. And the high schools are one way, but there's a number of other areas. For instance, computer games is also a big culture phenomenon, right? So it is both an industry and a cultural phenomenon. And yet computer games is not listed when you look at the guiding documents for the Culture Council, for instance. Games is not mentioned. So we neither fully accepted as an industry or fully accepted as a cultural phenomenon. And we think that both these aspects need to improve. And in addition to sort of the political decision makers, it's also about people who work in the public sector or people who work in other industries who don't understand the potential that games has to change their industry as well. Because one of the things that the computer games industry has is, is the fact that it's at the crossroads of entrepreneurship, technological know-how, innovation, and creativity. And all of those four things are things that Sweden in general is very good at in an international setting. And this is one of the few industries where all of those come together. So we believe also that there's a lot to learn from more traditional industries by looking at what the computer games industry is doing. And by strengthening the computer games industry, we are both strengthening that industry, but also giving the potential for other industries to grow and develop and use gamification or even use games or game developers to further their development as well. So we, we hope that we can spread the word on that computer games is not just for fun, even though it is designed for fun to other people. And hopefully as a secondary target group for the podcast, of course, the people who work in the industry, people who are interested in the industry, people are considering a career in the industry. So that's another way that we can sort of promote to get more people involved in the games industry is to expose them to the potential that you can do all these things. I'm not sure that everybody understands that computer games development isn't just programming. There are a lot of other professions from marketing to communication to statistical analysis to audio to and so on. There are two sort of main purposes. One is to, as Gabriella said, to inform and educate and legitimize the industry. And one is to give more depth or offer more perspectives on what the computer games industry is and can do. In the first episodes, we started out with wide perspective on competence and why is there so little money in research funding, for instance, for computer games and what are the main challenges when it comes to inclusion and all of those things. And now we're starting to also talk to specific um, people that work, for instance, in the audio or sound creation or people who run companies and what's it like to be a startup manager and so on. So. We're trying to delve into different types of topics. And I think the goal here is to support the computer gaming industry in any way we can. So to lift up different topics that might be of interest to people who are already in the gaming industry or that are thinking about joining the gaming industry is also a high focus area for us. Yeah. So for instance, inclusion and diversity or why there are so few women plus people in the gaming industry as opposed to cis men and how to get a better product, etc. So we have a, a series coming up on leadership and different perspectives on leadership skills, both in the aspect of where the computer gaming industry has succeeded with agile work methods, etc., and where the challenges lie and where we can find the development points to share. Cool. I think starting in high school, I mean, I, I probably spent more time playing games in high school than actually studying. 
that would be a great way to to get people but then we just end up in a country where everyone makes games and no one does anything else if people were actually interested would it be a fair assessment to say that part of your mission is to make sweden more competitive and game node as a section of that to make the swedish gaming industry more competitive most definitely that is actually our, our key pillar to increase Sweden's competitiveness. And we, we are a company with about 3,000 employees, but we are owned 100% by the Ministry of Climate and Enterprise, Departamentet. So we're government owned. And our mission is just as you said, to prove Sweden's competitiveness in various arenas. And of course, games is one of them. And as I understand it, the, the reason why you are under the, now I don't remember the English name, Departamentet. So it's a section for markets and economies, basically. So the reason why you are under that department, but still are a research institute. So I understand that the reason that it is that way is because that you use science and research to be able to make us more competitive. And that's something that's new and very fascinating in the gaming industry, because to me or to many people, maybe this is a layman's take on it. So please excuse me, but research is something that you don't normally associate with video games. So could you give us sort of a helicopter view on why do we need research in games and why does it make us more competitive? Is there something you can gain from it as an indie developer or is this something more geared toward big businesses or what's your take on it? There are a couple of reasons. We are an applied research, industry research and applied research institute, as opposed to the universities that do academic and theoretical research mainly. When it comes to researching computer games, it's been going on for 25, 30 years. Skövde Högskola, Universitet Skövde has been paving the way quite a bit and was one of the early actors in this arena. And there are now a dozen different universities in Sweden that do research in different ways. It can benefit industry in many ways. One is, of course, in technology and finding out new ways to use technology that then can be applied in the computer games industry, just like in any other industry. But there's also research, for instance, being done in the fields of media and communication related to how computer games affect people and how computer games can permeate culture and what it means that when computer games comes into art and culture. So there's a number of fields. I'm currently doing 50% of my time as an industrial doctorate, so PhD studies, and that's in the field of entrepreneurship and innovation. So I'm studying the computer games industry from that perspective. How do you build successful clusters that can support the growth of local computer games companies, for instance? What do they need from the parties outside of the industry itself, from the public sector to be successful? So there are a number of ways that research can can help that. But it's important to dis- distinguish us away from the universities that even though we're a research institute and do research, ours is often very practically oriented. So we do a lot of pilots and demos and tests and push the borders and try out new frontiers to do that. RICE has been around for a long time. It just used to be several different smaller institutes. So we had a, a research institute for agriculture, a research institute for health, a research institute for concrete, and so on and so on. So a few years back, Sweden decided to sort of get all of those together in one big organization under the ministry. 
the minister also owns a number of other things um, most well known to Swedes probably Systembolag Rice is an umbrella name and then the game node is underneath that Yeah, we have five divisions that work in different things. And the work that we do is in a division called digital systems. And then within digital systems, there's a number of different fields. There's a a group that just works with AI. And we are in a department that's called prototyping societies. So it's about how society changes and how digital systems and digital transformation affect society in a number of different ways. So we have everything from a unit that works with the norms and culture to societal transformation and urbanization, to digital e-health. And the unit that we belong to and where Gamers Look is actually about lifelong learning. We all work together using that sort of as a framework. And Gamenode is technically what's called a test and demo environment. So that where we try out different things and then we connect different products to that to further this common interest. Hmm. It also depends on what type of games you're talking about. In a lot of ways, the, the research goes on behind the scenes, right? We're starting now to find more and more interests. In Sweden, we're very good at entertainment games. We're not as big in serious games. And that is an area of research that is currently booming quite a lot. There is a lot of interest in researching serious games and how game mythology a methodology or gamification can impact you in a way that you can harness to do good health-wise. So there are clinical trials with different games in the health sector to support with recoverment from cancer treatments, treatments for ADHD, where kids that are really aggressive have shown very good improvement by gaming together with their parents, for instance, and you measure their brain signals and their heartbeats and whenever they can slow down their heartbeat they get rewarded in the game that they have to play together with their guardians or their parents so that's something that we would categorize as serious games and in that field research can be very instrumental to examine how we as human beings react when we play games for entertainment purposes and then to reapply those findings in a manner that can improve your health Yeah, interesting. That reminds me actually about episode number six with the Fine Arc, where they actually are consulting a bit on a project where they do a type of serious game to, I think it was help stroke patients to Mm. recover functionality after having a stroke with the use of the Microsoft HoloLens. So that's really cool that our industry has these effects on the rest of the economy and the world in a sense for learning is another field that it's becoming really big especially with the sort of vr and ar starting to boom a bit where you can visualize complex training sessions in vr and get a much better training than just looking at text on a screen and enable a lot of volume of people being trained as opposed to transporting people to a specific location to be at a specific machine and try that out, especially in complex industries like the mining industry, where each machine could cost millions and millions of dollars. And it's just not possible to have a number of them standing around just for training purposes. So there are a number of fields where games can actually be used for different things. From Rai's perspective, with the competitiveness of Sweden as a whole, I think we have both the interest of the industry itself at heart, but also the ability to impact other industries through the use of games 
something else that I'm curious about. So in your podcast, you talk a lot about education for people in the games industry, that it's something that's growing, but something that's not really there like it is for many other industries. But I want to give you just another perspective on it and hear your thoughts that there's two ways, I would say, to get into the gaming industry from what I've seen at least. So one way is the traditional and academic where you go to an education, either if it's a vocational school or a university or something similar. And then after that, you do your internship or get hired by a games company and then you start off. And the other way is to be more self-taught, like me and Rune, for example. So there's two approaches to making us more competitive in the games industry. Either you would make the majority go to more education and make them more educated to be able to work in games, or you would somehow try to lower the threshold to enable anyone to be more self-taught and just start making games. So would you say that there is some way that's better or is there a mix of the two that's required or what's your take on it? Well, they're not mutually exclusive, right? So you can do one while you still do the other. For us, it's easier to start with the governmentally funded programs such as educational programs. It's more difficult to find a way in to support individuals to start off with, but we can still do that at the same time. And since the computer gaming industry is an entrepreneurial field, even if you have gone through an education, the way you start out is usually why you have your study buddies and you starting a gaming studio together. Or you know someone and you have an internship and you start working immediately for one of the bigger companies. But either way, education is the well, excuse me for saying easy within brackets, but it's the most <laughs> logical way for us to start. Yeah. yeah. If you look yeah. at, there was a report released quite recently by the computer games industry, which in English I think is called Talent Education and the Art of Making Games, which sort of overviews what it looks like and the inroads to becoming a person in the industry. And about 7% have taken the road that you have. In other words, coming from other inroads than universities and our vocational education. Um, while it is still possible and while it's definitely something that could be worked at, for instance, by introducing games at a younger age or introducing it in schools in different ways, it's still highly dependent on the personal qualities of the person to be able to learn by themselves and have the dedication that it takes to reach a level where you're actually good enough to be hired than for us to go through the structural means of trying to improve the programs and so on that exist. As Gabriela said, it's not mutually exclusive in any way, but for us as a research institute, of course, it's easier to work with the structures that exist and then try to boost the sort of societal ways or the individual way. Just by increasing the interest in the gaming industry, I think you support both ways in a sense, because whether people choose to go their own way to find their way into the industry or whether they decide to go in education, as long as they get started, there's a huge shortage. The computer games industry estimates it's a shortage of about 40,000 people that needs to be met by 2031. So we're talking about a lot of people. Uh, there's 8,000 people roughly in Sweden now working with the computer games industry. And that number needs to increase wow. greatly. Uh, last year, there were 680 or something like that, six, 700 uh, slots available in the universities and the vocational trainings for people to be educated. But there were 14 or 1,500 needed positions. 
So even today, the shortage is great. And that's just going to increase over time if the industry keeps developing the way it has. Do you want to talk a little bit more about the companies that you usually work with or what does a normal workday, if there is one, uh-huh. look like? Gabriela, what's your normal workday like? A normal. <laughs> <laughs> Since I'm fairly new, I'm still learning, of course. So I'm still getting to know this giant organization that I've joined. But on a day-to-day basis, we communicate with all of our stakeholders in different projects. We have projects that we run ourselves as project managers, or we are resources or experts or facilitators in other projects that are run by either another project leader at RICE or another company or governmental branch. There's a lot of communication, there's a lot of documentation, there's a lot of synchronization, and there's a lot of, I would say, contact. Uh, You put people into contact with each other and you network within different industries. And you you empower people to take shortcuts into other organizations. So, for instance, we're talking a lot with the cultural sector at the moment to try and highlight people who are not programmers or graphical artists, but they work with music or they work with fashion and to see how they can get in touch with the computer gaming industry or educational sectors that can support getting into the industry. Yeah. A lot of our contacts come through both of the parts that maybe the computer games industry don't reach normally. We are catalysts. The best thing we can do is put people in touch with each other because most of the work that goes on to improve the computer games industry is done locally and regionally. There are different clusters like Arctic Game or Sweden Game Arena or Game Habitat Mm. and so on. And that's where most of the work on ground level is done. And of course, with all of the 800 companies or something that's available, it's impossible for us to be in touch with all the companies. So we work a lot through the local clusters and help them help the companies and try to give them then the best resources or aid that we can. And we also work a lot with the actual industry organization, the Swedish computer games industry, which is where all 95% of the companies are members who then help us funnel what the different companies need. And then we start to reach out to different specific companies that we work with in, in specific circumstances. But mainly our work is to empower those that have the actual ground connection because we are not a computer games organization as, as such. And we have to have them who do the daily work and who will keep doing the daily work get the best organization that they can. I want to say something, but I'm not sure where I'm going with this. We've had some guests on this show I'm just going to say, let's see where we end up, okay? (laughs) I hear a lot of words like managers, facilitators, incubators, branches, consultants. As an extremely uneducated person, I went to plumber high school. To me, it just looks like a bunch of, it's like talk. (laughs) And then I'm here, like, making fucking games. Like, where is everyone else? Like, why is it so, like I said, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it feels like it's just so much... uh, I don't know. Overhead. What's going maybe. on? Yeah, like, but I hear you. Making games? I hear you. One of the fellows who joined this episode from Fine Arg, you know, he want to make games, but it's just like, it seems to be so hard for us to make it work. Yet there seems to be so much of this management stuff, not actual game development. What's going on here? I hear you. I come from the same background. I'm a self-made person. I was educated later in life, very recently. Mm. So I also didn't see the point of an academic background. I was like, yeah, those are just a bunch of people sitting around (laughs) talking and having meetings and not not achieving anything, right? 
Then again, uh, as a gamer, and if you play role-playing games, you understand the importance of making a plan, right? You have to have a structure to move forward to achieve your goals. I would say that is what we do. We try to facilitate the world that we live in so that it will suit people to get them into the industry, to make money, to contribute with taxes, etc., etc. So it's a strategy game. Mm. What we do is strategize. Yeah, that's pretty much it. We've talked about the shortage of availability of slots for people to get educated. There's people who want to get into the industry, but there's three or four people applying for every position in, in the VATs, the AHO. How can we then help AHO to get more slots? Well, now you run into another problem because they have a bag of money, which is X, gold points, <laughs> and they have to divide them between different things. And then they sit there and say, okay, should we get more people who can drive trains, people who can mine lithium, or people who can program computer games. And then they have to evaluate the value of these different things to society at large. The agency government for, or? Yeah, this is the government in this case. The Agency for Higher Vocational Education in this specific example, MUHO. So they have a bag of money that they get from the finance department that you can spend this on setting up educations to get an X amount of students, give the people who do the education X amount of money to get X amount of students. And so that bag has to be shared between different professions. Let's say they have this example where they have to choose between people who drive trains, people who mine lithium, and people who program computer games. Of course, every industry is going to push for their importance in different ways. And what we feel and what we've identified is that the computer games industry has grown up pretty much like breaking through the asphalt and become big on its own without the support mm. of, of the national government. And the case that I make when I talk to these agencies and these government people is that doesn't mean that this industry doesn't need a structure around it. You can build a tower of blocks, but it can only be so high before it starts toppling over. So you need to have a structure around it. Every industry needs that. So they said, well, what's the use of games? It's just for fun. And then we can come in and say, well, mm -hmm. look at these examples of where it's used in the health sector or the education sector. Look at what it does to culture. Look at how to improve Sweden's creativity and innovative drive. And they say, hmm, maybe you've got a point there. And then they look at the numbers and they see, in this case, for instance, that the people who graduate from regular programmer educations, it's around 53, 54%. But in the computer programming for games, it's 78%. That means that people who start this training actually complete it much more often. That means to them that there's a higher value in that education, right? Because you get a better output. They do the number crunching and then they listen to what we have to say and say, well, maybe we do need to put a little bit more money from the bag into that pile. So that's one way that we try to shift the focus and show the importance of this industry. Of course, that doesn't show until 20 years down the line when people have gone through the educations. But we try to run that race because we want the industry to be able to do what they do best, is to build cool games and get them out into the market. That's one example. Another one is exports. How do you get more companies to be able to publish their games? What can we mm. do to support that? How do we improve the way for people to get foreigners to come to Sweden to work? Because that's a hassle as well. If you have people that you work with that come from abroad, to Sweden to work, it's quite a bureaucratic hassle to get in and to get to stay and to get your permits and so on. That's another area, my, for instance. My wife just got expelled. That's why we're back in Japan. It's just pure hell migration stuff. 
So that's one of the areas that we try to facilitate. But it's also a very good explanation of what the test bed is. Because it takes so long for us to show actual results, this is now a fact in the whole of Sweden, we do these test beds to prove by example that we have an X number of companies here that have actually tested this methodology of hiring people. And then we can show by example that this will be a good investment for you to put your money into education for computer gaming industry or to put your money into investing in entrepreneurs that doesn't have an education necessarily, mm. that are very, very driven and self-taught. I'm not 100% sure if I want the government and the art industry, if you will, to be in cahoots. But have you guys heard about in Poland, CD Projekt Red and The Witcher and all that? I think that was a government-funded project. And in the end of the day, I think if you guys want to convince the politicians, just talk money. That's what they know. That's mainly what they care about. Also in Sweden, I remember back in the day, like Battlefield, let's say two, maybe. It brought in more money to Sweden than all of the music and movie industry did together. I think it's a good point because that's an argument we often get that we don't want the cultural sector and the government to be in cahoots because then you have the money bags, people dictating the freedom of expression, so to speak. Yeah, that's sort of what I was worried about. Yeah, that's not uncommon. But we still live in the same world. We exist in the same realm. We have to interact with each other in some way. Just to ignore each other is not the solution forward, I don't think. We still need to find structures and uh, inclusion. Because it is a cultural field. Uh, computer gaming industry is how you apply that uh, skill that you have in arts or other cultural aspects, music, mm. fashion. That is up to you as an individual mm. if you're starting your own company. But you could still gain from the different sectors talking to each other and having a way forward for you to pave the way, so to speak. But if you don't have that, you have a harder fight in front of you. So what we are trying to achieve is simply to make the ride smoother yeah. for individuals or for bigger companies. They are not mutually exclusive. Another example that's regionally adapted is that for a couple of years, there was a Nordic computer games program, which was very popular and enabled quite a few games to get published through that program with quite little funding. That's something that we're trying to get activated again. Another one is that we managed to get funding set up last year so that more companies could go to Gamescom, for instance, by enabling clusters to gain access to national funding so that they could set up a structure where not just sending people to Gamescom, but actually make a little educational program around it. So. They could prepare people, who should you meet, what should you do, how do you pitch, what did we learn when we were there, and so on. So there's a number of small things going on and a lot mm. of big things going on. So it's not just these big national things, but most of the time it's actually what's going on in the regionals. We're working now on a project, for instance, to improve, as you probably know, Huebde is one of the cities in Sweden that has done this the longest and has a very good track record, not least with Valheim and B Rising fairly recently. But there's a project that's ongoing because the entire region of Western Sweden has said, hmm, this gaming industry looks really interesting. Maybe we should try to expand that and not just be Skövde-based. Gothenburg used to have a very mm. big computer games community, and it's much smaller now. So they want to get back on track and build that. And how do we build and how can the city support that? And can we help them with locations or meeting places? Or should we have a conference? There's a number of things there to develop, to be able to give the space and the arenas where the developers can meet and get together and discuss things. So big things and small things. Mm. Yeah. But man, it sounds like 
such a uphill battle. When I was in Sweden just now, I worked in this facility, uh, LSS Boende. Mm. I did part-time there and my own thing. So there lack of people there. Apparently in the hospitals, there's a lack of people. There's no police. There's lack of people there. There's lack of teachers, kindergarten. Even though I make games, I would still consider having hospitals fully staffed more important than making games as much as i hate to say that honestly i think <laughs> games are more important but still if yeah. something happens i'd rather get to a hospital where someone can take care of me instead of lying there dying on the street playing my video games <laughs> so it's just when the government's in the picture it sounds like you guys have an uphill battle to sort of convince them that this is more important are not necessarily more important, but it is important. But I, like I said, I think that money speaks. So hopefully they will. I'm sort of surprised. Sweden is supposed to be such a progressive country. Like, why don't they see this? Like, how can they not see it? There are two things that you say that I really want to address, because one, you're absolutely correct. There's a shortage in a lot of sectors of people, which is one of the reasons that what we discussed earlier on migration workers and people who come to work, the regulations are a definite barrier for Sweden's development. And that situation is most likely only going to worsen with the current structures. We're not alone in this. There's a bunch of organizations and industries that have addressed this, but it becomes a matter of politics. We just had a new government in Sweden, which is less likely to ease those restrictions. The other part is that even though there is competition, the government is very rarely just one entity. The government is a number of different entities with different goals. So the people in the cultural part of the government, they have their goals and they want to achieve those. And then the people in the finance area want to achieve their goals and the people in education and so on. Every sector has to prioritize. We're looking a lot at Finland, for instance. In Finland, they put in last year, I think 13 million euros just to support the Finnish computer games industry on a national level. Sweden has nothing like that. In many countries, there are tax breaks for new computer games companies and so on. There are reports on what's going on in all different kinds of countries. But Sweden has almost nothing on the national level. We have a lot of stuff on the local level, on the regional level, municipalities that support or clusters and so on, but very little on the national level. It's a big gap there. That's the gap that we work on on the national level. And then on the local and regional where there actually is a structure, we just try to support that structure to help them do more and better stuff so that there will be more companies. How would you, for example, solve immigration? Would people need to come and then get educated or do you want to attract people who are already educated because we have had a lot of immigration in Sweden and that haven't solved all the problems still does it mean we need more or is it like we need a different type of migrants with the risk of going slightly off track from games here I think part of the tougher regulation is based on the big migration waves from 2015 and 2016 and the war in the Middle East and I think the current legislation is based on the fact that they want to stem the tide of people who come who don't get a job or don't get integrated into society. But the problem is that a system, especially a national system, isn't very smart. It can't distinguish very easily between person A and person B. So either you make strict regulation or you don't make strict regulation. If you have strict regulation, things are going to happen, like in your case, that you're now back in Japan with your partner and not being able to come. I think that changing that regulation is absolutely a key thing. It's hard for us as a research institute to change the laws, but we can join mm. the choir of industries and organizations who work towards that because we can give our examples from our perspective and not just the computer games industry and many other industries that are affected by this. 
to try to help that specific problem. But I think it's a major national issue that needs to be addressed definitely on the highest level of government mm. if we are to be competitive over time. I almost get dizzy from all the problems. I'm just thinking my wife, she's like a educated kindergarten teacher in Japan and it's not enough in Sweden. What the fuck's going on? She's talking about taking a forklift license here and it's not, I can't get an answer from anyone in Sweden. Is this going to be valid in Sweden? And I have like some friends that used to be a doctor and all of a sudden he can't do that in Sweden. For some reason it's not enough. As far as I can tell, a West Asian person and a Swedish person works the same. I don't know, there seems to be so many barriers but i guess in the gaming industry at least programming is the same in japan as it is in sweden i have a friend who moved to sweden yeah. to work for dice for example so at least that's an international thing but, but that's something that the rest of the world could learn from the gaming industry because programming is a language right and medicine isn't a unilateral language in the same way. We speak different languages in different countries and we have non-comparable systems of education, non-comparable systems of proven ability. That is also something that we are looking into specifically for the gaming industry and for the general competence migration. We shouldn't forget also that Sweden is a small country. We don't have that much people being born in Sweden every year that we can support ourselves. We are mm. very much dependent on people moving to Sweden, working in Sweden. So for me, the logical solution would be to focus on integration. How do we take care of all these people coming here? Everyone can do something. And if you're an educated kindergarten teacher, or if you're a doctor, or if you are an alphabet, you have to start at different levels. But the integration process should definitely be addressed. I think it's shameful that Sweden is still so poor in integrating people. Mm. It's not brain surgery. Mm. But I always think like that doctor friend, for example, maybe he shouldn't start a brain surgery at day one, but he can do something in the hospital and they need people. Surely there's a lot of things he's capable of doing instead of yeah. driving Uber now. Yeah. Or my wife, like surely she can work in a Swedish kindergarten. It's only a matter of authenticating those skills. So if you move here from Japan as a kindergarten teacher, what sort of skills would you have? You would have documentation of those skills, probably. You would have to have someone in Sweden taking that person and looking at their skills and saying, okay, this would be a good entry level for you. This is what you need to function in the Swedish system. There are a number of initiatives going on. There's a lot of fast tracking, especially in the health sector, where people can get rapid education to convert existing degrees from other countries. But this is a global challenge and one that the EU is also working on. Obviously, it's a little bit easier for countries within the EU, even though there are problems mm. even there to get educations recognized at some points. So there's a lot of work going on to make education more interoperable because the way you train for different things can be very, very different in different countries, of course, and different practices and different regulations on what you need to document or what you need to do or so on. So that's a bigger challenge, of course, for more complex professions with a higher degree of learning needed, like doctors or lawyers and so on. Just because you're a lawyer in Japan doesn't mean you can practice Swedish law, for instance, because the law is different. Mm. But programming is much more universal. Making art or music is much the same. Yeah. It's funny, my uh, Japanese friend, he, uh, so my Japanese was not so good back then and his English wasn't that good. And then he didn't understand what I asked him. He helped me program a little bit when I started out making games. And he didn't understand what I meant. So then I talked to him in C-sharp 
Like <laughs> if blah 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 equals true, this equals false. Oh, okay. So it See? was like it's crazy. In Japan, they have a pretty neat system. <laughs> when you start working in Japan, they can hire people who are completely uneducated in, for example, gaming, and then they spend six months to a year educating you while you're working and then you're in that's another thing i think sweden should look into we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago who sort of debunked my theory here but i forgot what she said so i will say it anyway but i feel like it's so expensive to hire people and it's so hard to get in that it's almost when i look at work opportunities in sweden it's like they're looking for these people that doesn't exist i feel like here in japan they let you in easily but all the work conditions and the salary and all that is worse here so they can afford it, I suppose. But in Sweden, it feels like it's so hard just to get in. So I think it would be neat if it was easier to get in and then you can get educated while you're working at the company. But the Japanese model is one of apprenticeship, right? So you, you apprentice with someone, with a master, then you learn their skills. Yeah. And then in a couple of years, X, Y, Z, you're fully trained to do that job yourself. The longer you work in that vocation, you would get the master, then you can take on apprentices. We used to have that system in Sweden as well, but the risk with that system is that it's very easy to take advantage of poor people or people who haven't got the opportunity to get educated. So although I think it's an excellent system, I still think it needs to be regulated to prevent Uh. people getting overused or underpaid. Uh. Interesting you went with that angle. I thought you were going to say the problem with that system, because here in Japan you have a quite strict hierarchy. And I always think that the problem in Japan is this hierarchy is so strict that you're being taught by your senpai all the time what to do and how to think and how to act that eventually, let's say you have all these ideas you want to make and all that stuff. And eventually when you have reached his spot, you have become him or her. And then you just keep on teaching your the person underneath you. So it doesn't really evolve or it doesn't progress as quickly as I would like it to. That's one of the reasons that Sweden ranks so high in creativity and entrepreneurship is that we have a much flatter structure than many countries. Mm. We don't have such strict hierarchy. So people's ideas pop up from all kinds of different directions and can be picked up in a different way. But there are drawbacks to that system as well. Mm. So I think as uh, probably all of us feel that we could probably sit here for five hours and still have stuff left to talk about. But I think for the sake of the time we have, we better start wrapping up, I guess. But I want to thank you, Gabriela and Bjorn, for taking the time to talk to us. It was very interesting and you're very welcome back to another episode so we can continue this discussion. Before we end the episode, is there anything you want to promote or plug or anything you want to say? Thank you for letting us join you, first of all. And if there is a message I want to leave your listeners with, maybe play more games. I don't know. (laughs) And listen to our pod as well. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. We'll make sure to link that in the description. So thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Rune, my co-host, as always. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will see you next week.